If you're watching with us from out of state, I know we have friends that have let me know they're watching from Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Arizona, New Mexico, California. We've even had someone watching last week from France and the week before someone from Ethiopia worshiping with us. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for the technology that he's opened up and people are worshiping with us and hearing the word of the Lord. You know, a few years ago, I just before a surgery that I had to have, suddenly I got a pounding headache. And not only did I get a pounding headache, but I got nauseous. And I thought, oh, goodness, I'm not going to be able to have the surgery. And I mean, it was just painful. And I spoke to the surgeon going in, and he goes, he all just turns to his staff. He says, put oxygen on him. And boy, just a few minutes after a few hits of oxygen, I felt good. Matter of fact, I felt so good, I didn't want him to do the surgery then. I thought everything was better. And you know that feeling of breathlessness. A few years ago, we drove up to Pikes Peak, and um, this was before we had our children. It's why my grandparents were still living, and we had taken my grandparents to Colorado. And when we got up to Pikes Peak, I discovered that my bride of just a couple of years had a condition I didn't know that she had called altitude sickness, and suddenly Becky had to have some oxygen. Well, my grandfather was laughing, and in a few minutes, my grandfather went over and sat down beside Becky and said, let me have some of that, because he discovered he had the same problem. Maybe you've discovered that, that you're out of shape when you've run up a flight of stairs and you got up to the flight of stairs and you grabbed the banister. <gasps> you're trying to catch your breath. Well, I'm sure at times we've all experienced those points in life where we've just run out of breath. We've been breathless and we say, I need room to breathe. I'll let you in on a little secret. When I first moved to Michigan, I had never lived in such close quarters before. I'm talking about living in such close quarters where people were right next to you. And I can remember sitting outside one time saying to the Lord, I feel claustrophobic. You know, everywhere I look, there's a house and there's a roof. And, and it was just felt like it was closing in. And that's when I really learned to love the Metro Parks. I was talking to one of the board members from our church about it. And he says, have you discovered the Metro Parks? And we drove out. And through the years I've enjoyed, I went out on Friday for a cold, sunny, snowy walk and saw the most beautiful eagle, our bald eagle. As a matter of fact, I was scared because this eagle came down only about 15 or 20 foot above me, and I thought, I wonder, do I look like something fresh to eat? So I started waving my hands, and, and the eagle flew away to a tree and watched me. So I decided it was time to leave the Metro Park. There was those wide open spaces where the eagle could soar and I could breathe some fresh air. And I'd like to talk to you for the next few weeks about having room to breathe. On your paper, I don't know if you've ever been like me, but I fill in the margins all the time. And I've wondered before, I can even remember our teachers in school saying, you know, 
why we had margins in paper. I can remember in college how big, how wide the margins had to be on our papers, both the headers and the footers and the side margins to turn in my term papers because margins actually make it easier to read a document. It's discovered that if there aren't margins and you just fill up the page with all print that people won't even bother to read it because they feel like it's impossible, but margin gives us this sense of possibility. Do you realize that 37.4% of a page's writing area is taken up by margin? But if you fill that margin, you won't read the page. I think in some cases that's something that you and I have got to think about when it comes to life. How much margin do you have in your life? The Holy Spirit wants you to have breath in your life. The Holy Spirit wants you to come to the end of your day, not breathless, but filled with the breath of life. The Holy Spirit wants you to wake up in the morning, not breathless and feeling like I can't get out of the bed, but the Holy Spirit wants you to wake up filled with breath and life. And can I tell you something else? That's true of your relationships. That's true of your finances. That's true of your ministry. That's true of your vocation and of your family. This week, I was talking with a young mother, first-time mother. And as we were talking, she's got text messages coming in from her job. She's got text messages coming in from her babysitter. She's got text messages coming in from other people. And she just looked at me, and she says, I feel overwhelmed And I hope she's watching this morning because I was able to share with her some of what we're going to be talking about in this series of messages. Would you stand with me this morning? Because I want to take you to a powerful passage from Psalms 31 and verse 5 through 8. Now, you want to read the whole passage later on because I've just taken the portions out of it that I want to use in the message this morning. I've put my life in your hands. Would you say that with me? I've put my life in your hands. Close your eyes and I'll say that to the Lord. I put my life in your hands. How many of you have done that? Would you lift your hand this morning? I've put my life in the hands of God. I've trusted my whole life. I've trusted him not only to take away my sins, but I trust him with the day-to-day issues of my life. You, God, I trust. Isn't that a powerful statement? Who can you say you really trust today? I can tell you there are people that I really, really trust. There are are people in my life like Pastor Rick and Corey and Mark and their wives. There are people in this, this church. I trust this church, and I trust most of all the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But when it comes to the ultimate issues of life, I know there's some issues Becky can't solve for me. I know there's some issues the church can't solve for me. There are issues that you may have that the church can't solve for you. There are definitely issues that politics can't solve for us. Can you say amen? There are definite issues that money can't solve for you. But when it comes to the real deep issues of life, we trust the Lord. You, God, I trust. I'm leaping and singing in the circle of your love. You gave me room to breathe. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? You gave me room to breathe. 
Now, Father, I ask you in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ, would you speak to our hearts and would you make this one of the most rewarding series that we've ever gone through in the life of Woodland Church? And Father, would you cause these messages to become fruitful and alive, Lord, touched and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that the fire of God, the light of God, the love of God might be shared through us, for it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I was talking to my second son this morning, and as Chris and I were talking, we were talking about the baby could come at any time. Our little grandson could be here at any moment, and I almost called his name, and I'm sworn to secrecy on that, you know? Our kids have a saying, says, if you don't want anybody to know a baby's name, don't tell dad, you know, because he's going to go to the pulpit and say it. But, of course, I called them this morning, been praying for them, and, and I was listening as the excitement is growing, all of those things that happen just before a baby comes, and it could be any time, and Papa's getting excited. Grandma's getting slightly excited. Papa is really excited about this baby coming. There's signs of life. That baby's living and breathing inside of her. The baby's kicking. The baby's growing. She's so little, and the baby is so big, is what the doctor just recently said to them, you know. And I saw pictures of his face this week, and they sent it to us. And I wondered to myself, how could anyone not welcome a baby? I recently wrote a blog post that a, a baby is a sign from God that life should go on. And then I thought, how in the world could anybody ever want to savagely tear that baby's life apart? God is the one that gives us life. And in the womb, there's breath. And in your life, every single day, there should be breath. And can I say something else? There should be breath when you finish raising a teenager. Can anybody say amen to that? I mean, anybody that's ever gone through the insanity of adolescence, and it's not their fault. I've often told teenagers, one of the things that I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven is why adolescence? Why those teenage years? Why those hormonal parties at a time of life when so many crucial and critical decisions are going to be made? But then it took me being a parent. I wasn't a parent when I was a youth pastor, but then it took me being a parent to realize, oh, i got to have some breath at the end of these adolescent years as well. And I've got good news for you. God has room for you to breathe through all of the ends of life. So I want to talk to you about a stewardship of life. And I want you to write down, this is an important sentence that I wrote. Discipleship is stewardship. Discipleship is stewardship. And if you're taking notes on paper, if you can write on your device, you might want to write out there stewardship of your time, stewardship of your talents, stewardship of your treasure. But I added another T to this two weeks ago while I was praying. I was saying, Lord, is there anything else that we need to be stewards of? And so here's a fourth T. I know you're all familiar if you've been around here any time at all with time, talent, and treasure. But I really felt this deep in my heart, and you'll have to weigh this out before the Lord, stewardship of our testimony. Can you say amen? Stewardship of what God has done in our life, what God is doing in our life, and stewarding that testimony. It's part of our mission in life to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about, and this is where we're going to begin, 
Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about anything else. And the second thing he talked most about, we've talked about this before at Woodland, the second thing he talked most about was money. I want to talk to you for just a moment to help you get a biblical understanding of stewardship. We get our English word stewardship from a transliteration of the Greek word okoinonima. Now, let me explain that. We've talked about oikos being household. We've talked about oikos evangelism here at Woodland before. And if you've been through discovering Woodland with me, or if you've been discovering my mission in life, we've talked about oikos. That's that Greek word for household. That's what happened with the Philippian jailer, that he and his oikos, his household, they all came to know the Lord on the same day. Onemia is law. If you've ever heard the word antinomian, which means without law, lawlessness, then you get the concept of what stewardship is. It's household law. It's household stewardship. It's using what we have to the glory of God. And I think that's why a biblical understanding of the Ten Commandments is so important because the Ten Commandments are woven throughout the Bible, including the Gospels and the pastoral epistles and even the book of Revelation. Everything is built around those Ten Commandments. During biblical times, the affairs of a house were not usually managed by the head of the house. They were managed by a steward of the house. Now, if the people were poor or if the people were did not have the means to have a full-time steward most of us don't have the means to have a full-time steward then what happens was they had to learn household economy let me give you a biblical example pharaoh put into joseph's charge everything he owned it didn't belong to joseph but pharaoh was in charge of it Pharaoh put into Joseph's charge all of the treasures of Egypt and all of his personal treasures and empowered him to use it in whatever way he saw fit. That goes all the way back to the Genesis mandate where God created us and he gave us stewardship of the garden that we were to tend it and care for it. Now listen, that's not like babysitting. That means we are to tend God's garden, not only to take care of it, but to see it produce and increase. And that's why you often hear me pray over you when I pray a blessing over you. May God make you prosperous and may God make you productive. That's the biblical call of a stewardship. So ever since Adam was placed in the garden, there is this oikonomia that we are called to be. We are called to be stewards of something that is not ours. My life is not my own according to the scriptures. My time is not my own according to the scriptures. My relationships are not my own. We say those because it helps us communicate, but deep inside we have to recognize our children, our marriages, our family, our time, our testimony. It's all a gift of God to us. Now, everybody in this world has limited resources. Even a billionaire has limited resources. You don't have the means. No one has the means to meet everyone's needs or all the world's needs. But each of us are called to be stewards, whether we're billionaires, millionaires, or we wish we were somewhere up in the air with those kind of people. 
I remember years ago when the Lord began opening doors and suddenly I found myself going out with people that were living in what we call in the South, tall cotton. And I remember talking to a mentor friend of mine who happened to be a very successful businessman and his business had prospered real well. And I say, I feel terrible. I can never pick up the tab. I can never do I, some restaurants. I couldn't even afford the, the tip in that restaurant. And he looked at me and says, don't try to be something you're not. Be who you are. Steward what you have. And God in time will promote you. And you will find yourself being able to help other people like yourself. That was a freeing moment in my life. In America, we have this deal that we try to fake it till we make it or look like we have a lot when we really don't have a lot. In the Bible, we're just called to be ourselves. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I love about the biblical concept of tithing, and you're going to discover this if you'll listen and follow along with me, the biblical concept of tithing is the most freeing and the most liberating financial and prosperity doctrine that you will find in the Bible. Some of you are thinking, yeah, right, Pastor. If you want me to have breath in my life, if you want me to have margin in my life, if I begin to tithe, that's going to destroy all the margins in my life. I've had people come to my study. I've met people here at the altar. I've met people at Starbucks. I've even met people in some of our local centers around town, and they've asked me when they've heard a message that I preached on tithing, and I apologize. It's been over three years since I brought a message on tithing. But let me say at the same time how proud I am of this church in that you haven't had to be cajoled or you haven't had to be pushed, but you're faithful with your finances because you understand this. Tithing is a plus principle. Say that with me. Plus principle. Say it again. Plus principle. Let me hear you say it. Tithing is a plus principle, not a minus principle. God says in his word, prove me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven upon you and pour out a blessing for you that you cannot even begin to contain. He says in the book of Proverbs, if you will bring the first fruits of all that you earn, if you will bring that into my house, I will fill your barns to overflowing. I will cause your vats to overflow with new wine. God is saying, if you and I I take 10% of everything we earn and bring it to the local church, the storehouse that you're a part of, God is saying, now listen, this is important. He will become supernaturally involved in your finances. I don't mean to be crude, but if you want to see the margins increase in your finances, you've got to put God first with the tithe. Because if you withhold the tithe, the Bible says that your finances will begin to shrivel up and dry up because of the events that happen in all of our lives. The wicked one will see that you're left without any room to breathe and that you're left breathless. You see, the world's principle is get all you can and then sit on your can. That's the world's principle. The book of John's principle and John Wesley's principle was earn all you can, give all you can. That was the principles. You might want to call that the John John principle, okay? You see, the world says, get all you can, then sit on your can. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 16 and verse 11. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? 
Friends, that's some strong teaching that Jesus has to do right there. Jesus says that how you manage your money has a lot to do with how God blesses your life. How you manage your money has a lot to do with how God blesses your life. A few years ago, I really felt strongly impressed from reading the Bible and praying about it that I should begin to pray a prayer of blessing over the congregation when we met together. I pray a prayer of blessing in our Saturday prayer services where I begin to do this at. And the more I've studied this power of blessing, I understand what blessing really means is not God bless me in whatever I want to do, but bless me by keeping me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Because there, your leaf will not wither, your vine will not dry up, and your trees will never cease to bear fruit. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? That's the Word of God. And Jesus says that how we manage our riches determines with whether or not we're trusted with true riches. True riches are not money. True riches are relationships. True riches are making a difference with our life. True riches are being able to leave a legacy. There is a connection between our wallets and our hearts. So let me talk to you for just a few moments about finding room to breathe financially. Now, some of you may be thinking already, you know, I can't listen, and I implore you. As a matter of fact, I humble myself, and I beg you to listen to this message because I'm not asking for one red dime for you. My salary doesn't go up if the church's income goes up. That's nothing to do with this message. I want you to be blessed, and I want the work of God to be blessed around the world. For instance, we're sending Bible college students all the way through four years of Bible college in one the f- nation's fourth most pop- the world's fourth most populated nation, we can do that for $3,100. This week, an individual called me and says, Pastor, if the church will give half, I will give the other half to pay for one of those students to go to college. So I'm asking you, if you haven't given yet, would you join Becky and I and others in our congregation to give to send a student This is a land, listen, first of all, where they're crying out for Christian workers. They're crying out for pastors. There are so many unreached people groups. God is sending a revival to that nation, and we must respond. We've already paid for one pastor this last week. In addition to our regular monthly missions giving, there was enough given last week that we were able to pay for one pastor. We're going to pay for another pastor this week. I'm confident because you're going to give. And an individual said he's going to step up and give 50%. You see, I want the work of God to be blessed, and I want you to be blessed. So you might say to me, how can I do this? Because if I tithe, my margin is gone. Listen to Romans 7.25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. We know that God has called us to tithe. It existed before the law. Jesus said we should tithe. We know there is a principle for our life, but the pull and the influence of sin is the world's get all you can, save all you can, and then sit on your can. That's the pull and the influence of sin. 
But the pull of God is to lead us to generosity so that God might be supernaturally involved in our finances and cause us to overflow and cause us to enjoy his abundance. And you say, how can that happen in my life? It won't happen by your willpower. It won't happen by your gritting your teeth. It won't happen because you want to create a habit. It will happen because you trust God's word. Jesus can, Jesus has, and Jesus will break the power of sin over our lives that causes us to live self-centered rather than God-centered. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? He can, he has, and he does every single day. So first of all, determine your priorities because stewardship is absolutely about priorities. The Bible says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's your number one priority, to live seeking the kingdom of God and live righteously and read this out loud with me, and he will give you everything you need. Read it one more time. He will give you everything you need. You see, the kingdom becomes our first priority, and proper priorities lead to priority living, which leads to abundant living, Jesus called it. Improper priorities lead you to a marginless life where you no longer feel like life is worth living. Your finances overwhelm you. Your relationships overwhelm you. Your vocations overwhelm you. We will look at all of this. But you see, when kingdom living, when the kingdom of God is your number one priority, it leads you to priority living living, which leads you to abundant life. So this next verse helps me to understand what Jesus is saying there. Read this out loud with me, please. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. Let me hear you read that loudly, please. The purpose of Sometimes people ask me, why 10%? I have no clue. I just know I can live better off of 90% than I can 100%. I know that when God is involved in my finances, everything goes better. So let me give you four margins for breathing room with your finances. And if you're struggling with your finances, I challenge you this morning. I, I encourage you this morning. I'm sharing with you that I believe from the word of the Lord that these four margins will get you out of that place where you're out of breath at the end of the month when you've paid your bills and you're wondering how are we going to get through the rest of the month or how are we going to meet next month's bills. If you will put these margins in place, remember 37% of your paper, Jesus wants you to have breath at the end of your financial month just like he does for everything else. First margin is 10% goes to God. First margin is 10% goes to God. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best, and your barns will burst, and your wine vats will brim over. The second margin, 10% goes to debt or savings. If you're in debt, the best investment you can make is to be paying off your debt, especially high-interest credit cards. If you're not in debt, then that 10% should go towards your savings, and part of your savings can go towards your wants in life. And I'm sure if I was to go around this room, I could ask some of you, what is something you want in life? And you might tell me, I want a new car, or I want to take my family to Disney World, or I want a European vacation. That's the purpose of saving, so that you can use part of your savings towards your wants. 
but don't go into debt for something you want. Save for what you want. Can somebody say amen to that this morning? That's the problem with our nation and many families economically. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. Proverbs 21, 20, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends for whatever he gets. The third margin is 10% goes to investments. 10% goes to investments. If you're in debt, then the second 10% still goes to debt repayment. Get out of debt as soon as you can. This is where we move into what we call legacy living, what we can leave behind for our families. And would you just look at me for just a moment? I am not an expert on the stock market. I've never claimed to be an expert on the stock market. I know people who are experts on the stock market. Don't gamble looking for something like the recently GameStop deal. And don't, game, don't gamble with hoping that you'll win the lottery if you'll buy enough tickets. Simply learn how to set a little bit aside, and friends, I promise you, God will prosper and bless you. Look at what Hebrews 13, 5 says, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have, since God assured us, I will never let you down, I will never walk off and leave you. Would you read that last sentence with me? God assured us, I will never let you down, and I will never walk off and leave you. Let me hear you read that. I will never. How many of you believe that? Say a big amen this morning. God will never abandon you. God will never leave you. God will not let you down. You've let yourself down. You've let other people down, and other people have let you down. But God will never let you down. And then finally, the fourth margin, and this is where it really takes the supernatural power of God to go to work in our life, and that is learn to live on 70%. Because with God's help, you can break the bond of materialism. Our culture is built upon the acquisition of more and more things and more and more stuff. And we value people not for who they are, but we value people for their address, or we value people for where their kind of car they drive, or we value people for the kind of clothes they wear. That should never be said about the body of Christ. The book of James is very clear. We don't honor somebody that comes in with a gold ring and a fine robe more than we honor someone that comes in in tattered rags. Everybody matters to Jesus Christ. Everyone matters. And God will become supernaturally involved. So let me ask you, claim his promise, believe his promise, and they began to speak his promises over your finances. Now, that's not saying to lie about your finances, but claim the promises of God. If you put him first, he will provide everything you need, and God will cause your barns to overflow, your vats to overflow. He will open the windows of heaven upon you. Listen, good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. If you will start here with these four margins, I can promise you, your life financially will not be the same in two to three years. Now look at me, two to three years. You see, in America, everybody thinks it's going to happen overnight. 
I want you to know for some of you in two to three years for your finances to be totally changed, that would be a miracle from God considering where you're at because all you're doing is meeting the minimum requirements on some of your debts. God wants to help you get out of this. I'm not saying that he won't provide a miracle, but we don't live our lives in a place where we have to have a miracle. We live our lives every day trusting God's word, planning and obeying God's word, and then when God sends a miracle, we give him the hand of praise for it. Can we do that right now this morning? Hallelujah. <laughs> Secondly, put the financial margins in place. Would you say that sentence with me? Put the financial margins in place. Say it again. Put the financial margins in place. Now you can't say you, now you can never say to anyone, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Put them in place. Do it today. Sit down today. The Bible says if you're untrustworthy, remember we just read this about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Well, let's make this positive. If you're honest with little, God will see to it that you're honored with much because you'll be honest with much. If you have integrity with little, God will see that you have much because God will give you, he knows that you will use integrity with much. You see, there's the positive way to look at these things. It's not a negative thing that if you're just dishonest, but if you're honest, then God will begin to work in your life supernaturally. Don't allow yourselves, Galatians 6, 9, don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds for the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. Say that two word, those last two words with me, is coming. Say it again, is coming. Say it again, please, is coming. I remember one year when Daddy and I planted. It was the first year I ever got to drive the tractor. It was the first year I ever got to pull the planter. And I remember it was so much fun. Well, let me rephrase that. It was more fun after the first day because I wasn't getting very straight rows planted, which meant we had to start all over. And, and Daddy Kiss kept correcting me. And one time I even said, you know, you drive. I've never done this before. And he says, you won't learn if you don't do it, fella. So I had to stay on that tractor because at that point in my life, I feared God and I feared Daddy. And so I learned how to drive a tractor and to pull the planter, and we got straight rows, and we were so proud. And then we got, we call it a gully washer down south. We got a gully washer of a rainstorm. It washed away everything we had planted. And I felt so sorry for my daddy. I did. I felt so sorry for him. And I said, Dad, I'm sorry. Why would God allow this? And he says, fella, I don't know why God allows this, but don't whine, son. We're just going to go out there and replant it again. You see, that's what you do. You keep on planting. You keep on planting. You keep on every single day. If your investments go down, you stay faithful to God. If your house burns down, you stay faithful to God. If your husband leaves you, you stay faithful to God. John Wesley's house burned down to the ground, and somebody came running to him and said, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your house has burned to the ground. What are you going to do? Wesley looked at them and says, well, first of all, it was never my house. It was God's house, so God will build me a new house. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's the kind of living that we want to have. And then thirdly this morning, I want you to discover the joy of generosity. Discover the joy of generosity. You know, Christmas and birthdays are so much fun for me. Anniversaries, 
I used to enjoy getting gifts. My kids ask me every year, my wife asks me every year, what do you want for Christmas? And you're not getting a book. There are two things in life I really enjoy, good coffee and good books. And you know, I, I find myself, I don't have an answer for that question anymore. The one thing I really would like to have, I will tell them and they'll go, you're not getting that either. <laughs> so what I have discovered is it's so much more fun for me to give than it is to receive. And I have all of these videos that I've made on Christmas and birthdays of our children, of our parents, our grandparents, of family members receiving gifts because I've discovered the joy of generosity. When I was immature and a child, oh, I loved getting gifts. But as you grow in Christ, you discover the joy of giving. Do you know that miser and miserable come from the same root word? Misers are miserable people. Misers live with a cold, with a closed fist because they get all they can, they save all they can, and then they sit on their can. But God's people are generous people. They live with open hands and they say, God, it just feels so much better to give than it does to receive. And why? Because you're created in the image of God. That's why. You're created in the image of God, and because God is a giver, you enjoy giving. Because God is a giver, I enjoy giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the most priceless pearl of heaven, the most priceless treasure of heaven. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. The godly are generous givers, the Bible, Psalms 37 and verse 21 says. The reason that they're godly is because they have sought to become like God, and the reason you know they're godly is because they're generous with their giving. Somebody say amen. And then I love what the Apostle Paul said. He says, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This week, somebody brought me a news magazine from a local organization. And I was so surprised and stunned because we got two shout-outs and Woodland Church got two shout-outs in this news magazine because of the generosity that you have shown in giving so that we could minister to people who were in need this year. And as I read that, I went and sat down in the chair in our, in our music room where we lead the prayer services from on Saturday night. And I just began to thank the Lord and worship the Lord for your generosity. You see, people know whether or not. And then that week again, my telephone rang, and it was the leader of another major organization in Downriver. And he called, and he said, I just wanted to say thank you for putting clothes and coats on the backs of children with no coats in the metro area of Detroit. Because of what your church has done, this is what we've been able to do. And then I got an email from a missionary in another nation that we recently helped them accomplish a major project, saying thank you, thank you. It's making eternal differences. Ladies and gentlemen, you know who the godly people are because they don't sit on their cans. They give all they can for the glory of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So as I wrap up today, start today. Procrastination is dangerous. I read this quote years ago. 
Procrastination is the bad habit of putting off until the day after tomorrow. What should have been done the day before yesterday? Yesterday. Start today. Put the four margins in place in your life. You say, Pastor, why are you emphasizing? Please look at me. Those of you watching from at home, please listen to me. Why are you emphasizing start today? Because these words are more real to me now than they've ever been before. And if you're young, they will become real to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Put that up on the screen. You don't know, this is James chapter 4 and verse 14. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You and I don't know the first thing about tomorrow. We're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Brothers and sisters, one day, and it could be today, I will draw my last breath. I will have given all I can give. I will have loved others all I can love. I will have blessed others in this life all I can bless. I will have shared Jesus all the times I can share Jesus. I could go on with that list. I will have forgiven everyone that I can forgive. That time will come, and I will breathe my last breath, and I live with the recognition it could be today. It could be this very moment that I breathe my last breath and stand before the Lord, and then all that I've been able to accomplish or do and through the years, please listen to me if you're young. Those of you who are older, you know this. But through the years, I've lost teenage classmates. Through the years, I've lost friends that were our age when they got married. Just recently, I lost one of the best friends I've ever had. Just, just devastatingly lost. Your life is but a breath. And you and I will be standing in the presence of God. I've chosen to do life with my wife and my children, with the pastoral staff, this congregation. I've chosen to do life in this community, which sometimes means, listen, I can't go as fast as I'd like to go. Thoreau said, the man who goes along can start today, but he who travels with another must wait till the other is ready. So husbands and wives, pray over this together today. Gather your families around, pray. If you own a business, discuss with those that are in business with you what you can do. You want God's supernatural involvement in your business as well. Tomorrow, tomorrow changes today. See, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Your tomorrow can change today. Because now is the time and the day of salvation, according to 2 Corinthians 6.2. Today is the day of salvation. I'm not after your money. I'll say it again. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be prosperous. I want you to be productive. I want the work of God blessed. I will never make apologies for that. I will never apologize for asking money for the kingdom of heaven. I have never asked for myself the Lord is my witness in all my ministry. I've never asked for myself, but God has been faithful. But I'm telling you this morning, you will never have breath at the top of the stairs financially until you put God first. So where do you need to start? Where do you need to start with these four things? What are your dreams? 
What are the obstacles you want to overcome? Who is your encouragement partner? Who encourages you, not discourages you? What does your spouse, or if you're not married, what do your parents say about your financial planning? And then what do you need to start, and what do you need to stop doing today? I can tell you the most important thing you need to do today, if you've never done it, is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you? Jesus, I am so thankful that you were willing to be given. Let this be an example to us all. Heaven had nothing more priceless. Nothing could compare the universe, the angels, human beings could not compare to the priceless gift that you are and you were to all who believe. And Lord, the most important decision that any of us can make is the decision, decision today to give our hearts to you. We've all felt that pull and influence of sin. But you can and you do break the power of sin. So I pray that you'll help whoever is listening right now to cross the line, leave that old life behind, and ask you to come into their heart and life. If that's you, would you pray with me? And just, if you're at home, just pray it out loud. If you're here in this sanctuary, just whisper it. Just whisper it to the Lord. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a giving God. Thank you for loving me so much that you gave your only begotten Son to die in my place for the sins I've committed. And today, I profess my belief in Jesus Christ, and I trust him as my Lord and Savior. Father, I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, hallelujah, listen, as much as I know how, I commit my life to you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? I believe folks have prayed with us this morning. I believe that with all of my heart. Well, on your way out today, could I give you just two reminders about this message? Not only tithe, but help us as we seek to minister around the world and world missions locally right here at home. You know, you could start by bringing in a bag of groceries next week for our food pantry. We need canned vegetables, canned meat, and stuff like that. There are real needs. There are needs so close to us that I can almost reach out and touch them. The more we're getting involved, I'm discovering. So start today, how can I help? 
Second thing is, if you cross the line, email me here at office at woodland.church, and I've got something I want to send to you. Nobody's going to be bombarding you with email or your phone ringing. I just want to help you get started with your new life in Jesus. Now, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord guard you and keep you. And may the Lord make you prosperous and productive, good stewards in the house of the Lord. Go in peace. God bless you. Amen.